This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 625 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Green Dreams of Fish Flies, Randall Weird Comic Writer, Dickie Remembers It All, Harley Gets Redder, General Immortus Has Waxy Buildup, Two Weaverns Too Many, and Justin is released into the wild. This is How I Got My Wife to Read Comics for Sunday, October 1st, 2023. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. You can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodcastnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Fish Flies number 2 from Image by Lemire. We return to the Mini Mart. Covered with tiny flies. Paul's mother is there. Paul was the boy who was shot by the robber at the mini mart. She looks up at the moon, picks up a dead fly, and crunches away. Back to Franny in the barn, having come across a human-sized bug. She continues telling the bug, which may or may not be the robber who's been Kafkaized, that he's hurting because he's done bad stuff, which can only be balanced by doing good stuff. She leaves him some crackers and tells him to stay. Back at the police station, Danny the cop is told that the other two kids from the robbery were sent home, shook up but not hurt. Thanks to a police request, we now have a name for the robber, Lee David Samard, who's got a long list of charges. Paul's mother arrives, wanting to talk to the officer. In a dream, or was it, she saw flies cover Paul in his hospital bed, followed by something with the moon. She knows it means something but can't explain it. She gives Danny the bug and leaves. We cut to the school playground with kids arguing about whether Paul and his friends are dead. Franny looks at them and is ostracized. Later in class, with O Canada being sung, one of the kids puts gum in Franny's hair and she attacks them. Of course, the teacher blames Franny. Cut to Lee having a dream. All is greenish. He's a human once more, but he's in the middle of a wasteland. He sees Paul in front of him, still bleeding, who runs off. Lee gives chase and finds himself at the mini-mart. Lee is shot in the chest all over again and tries to apologize to Paul, who turns into a bug as the sliding doors close. He awakens to see Franny again, who suggests they go for a walk. Once outside, Lee leaps into the air and Franny chases him into the woods. She finds him glad he didn't leave. She wishes she could fly and that Lee would do to her classmates what you did to the grade 8 boy. She apologizes. No more band stuff. She hugs him, and he takes her for a ride in the sky. Cut to Dan watching an online video from the news talking about the fish flies and giving us more details about them. He flicks his bug into the trash. An epilogue shows Dale, one of the kids, providing what is probably a police interview about the event. He feels guilty for teasing Paul, who's now on life support. Dale also had a green dream. It's sort of um, 
typical Lemire in that it's yeah. like you don't know where it's going, but it's all going to tie together eventually. And you don't know what's real and what's a dream sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's interesting. I could do without bugs, but it's still an interesting <laughs> comic. Black Hammer, The End, number two from Dark Horse by Lemire, Ward, and Picos. We begin in the real world of Rockwood with Lucy and Rosie arguing. The daughter is trying to get a signal on her cell phone and is told they will get new phones that work there. The mother is resolute that staying there in safety is the only solution. We get the you'll thank me someday spiel. Abe and Rod watch the fight from the porch and Abe knows that things don't seem too good between Rod and Lucy either. Abe gives him advice, noting that he's not throwing away his own second chance with Tammy. Back at Colonel Weird's ship, Abram Slam, the Soviet champion from Earth-12, is arguing with Barbeliax, the warlord from Earth-31. Space Digger shuts it down, and we meet Ms. Dragonfly, insect sorceress from Earth-990, and Gorilla Gale of Earth-17. We've already met Golden Guinevere of Earth-312, now in small girl form. This is the team that will defeat Anti-God once and for all. Maybe. Back in Rockwood, Joey brings provisions to Insector, Detector, Sandwiches, and Whiskey. Joey apologizes for getting the detective into this mess, and he replies he would do it all again. He could also use some smokes. Joey then runs into Sherlock and Gale in the barn. He accidentally refers to Gale as Golden Gale, and she thinks it sounds familiar. Joey tries to wave it away, but the others push him to talk. Now Rosie is with Detector. When she heard the heroes in this world are just in the comics, she checked out a few that Abe had ordered online, one of which happens to be Black Hammer. The writer is R. Walden Laurie, an anagram of Randall Weird. I really think Jeff Lemire missed a a point here if he was thinking that he was going to do that. He should have had an anagram of his own name for... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh. Miracle Man, The Silver Age, number six from Marvel by Gaiman and Buckingham. After a long delay, the last issue came out in May. We return to the tale of Dickie Dauntless. After a quick shot of Miracle Man wondering why he can't find him, we see Dickie being cradled by Metamaid. He seems to be in a stupor. He's finally remembering his history. 1949, the misnamed Joyful House Orphanage. Mrs. Mall runs the place, and she's not a nice person. A mystery man drops off a young lad, and she grumpily accepts him into the fold. She can't pronounce the name on his record. I can't say this. It hasn't got any vowels. What are you, Welsh? He's actually Polish. They call me Dickie Dauntless. His father died in the war, his mum just recently. His only possessions? A photo of her and an album from a show he attended. They're both taken away. He goes to school with the other orphans sitting in the back of the class. Dickie dreams of his mother returning. He stays away from Mr. Maul, who punishes anyone who breaks his rules. Time passes. Dickie is sent out with prospective foster parents, but they never keep him. Once, a British lord is assured that he will have the freedom to do as you wish with Dickie. It's heavily inferred that Dickie is molested by him and then returned. 1954. A new man arrives, and we know it's Garzunga. He just wants to talk to Dickie, giving him comics and asking him which ones he likes. Dickie picks out Air Force heroes and says he'd like to fly. 
Later, Dickie is sent out to have dinner, fish and chips, on his own. There, he's kidnapped, and we cut to a double splash page showing Dickie's treatments that turn him into young Miracle Man. Dickie awakens in Meta Maid's arms, and after crying, they kiss. Did you find the answers you were looking for? He tells her his real name, the only one that matters, is Dickie Dauntless. It's time to see his mentor, and he transfers into Young Miracle Man. Let's finish this. Good idea, Neil. Harley Quinn, Black, White, and Redder, number three, by Simone, Baldion, Condon, Phillips, Bidikar, and Ba. The mostly monochromatic anthology continues. Deeply Strange Adventures. We begin with Harley doing an interview at the Sanctuary from Heroes in Crisis. Quinn is asked about regrets. Most of them are minor. One time I secretly gave Hawkman laxatives, but she remembers a time when she was really naughty, for reals. She intercepted Adam Strange's Zeta Beam and wound up on Ran. Alana finds her in a sandstorm and lays one on her, assuming it's Adam. Have you ever considered polymammary? Sardath asks her if she can fight. Their city is about to be attacked, and none of his people have an instinct for war. Can she fight? After getting her own Adam Strange outfit, she quickly mops up the horde, all while trying out battle cries. John Carter should have got a sequel. Waffles are superior to pancakes. Hawkman's origin is confusing. She then realizes the horde is poor and just wants to share the big city's bounty. Alan agrees to work on that and replies to Harley's question. Thank you for this kind offer, perhaps in another reality, and gives her a smooch. Harley makes one more request. She needs a get-well present for Ivy, getting a Iranian plant. Harley, where's the cad? Stacked deck. This is an alternate origin for Quinn. She's still at Arkham as a psychiatrist working with inmates. She has a plan to finally crack the case of the Joker, saying that she has stacked the deck. Her careful plan falls apart when she's late for work, so her supervisor, who is hesitant to do the Joker visit anyway, steps in, and she's slaughtered for her trouble. Harleen is racked by guilt and moves to Central City, interviewing rogues while writing up her notes. But something was missing. Cut to Harleen and Joker. When he goes into his spiel, she cuts him off. She's read all the notes, all his nonsense. She realizes she doesn't need his story for her book. You're nothing but a joke. She awakens as Harley in Joker's bed. The Rebound. Quinn is trying to get over her breakup with Joker and finds an alternative, a cat. They become inseparable with Harley talking to the feline nonstop. She needs to get a birthday gift for Ivy and picks out a new species of carnivorous plant she can steal with the cat as her partner. Of course, the cat wakes up the guard, licks itself as Harley finds more guards, and watches as Quinn is wrapped up in the giant plant. She's forced to blow up the plant to escape. She decides the cat isn't working out. I'm going to keep wanting you to be different, but that ain't fair on neither of us. She gives Ivy a regular flower as a present, Joker is framed for the robbery, and the cat goes to Selena. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number 6 of 7 by Culver, Burnham, and Reber. Part one of the two-part conclusion to this miniseries. We begin with Flex Force, a group of patrol trainees led by Flex Mentallo. They play capture the flag with the varsity team until a code orange alarm goes off. Mento has sent out a distress signal. Their base is being attacked. A group of villains, mostly from the Vertigo era, warp in and the battle is on. 
one of the villains, the Quiz, who has whatever power you haven't thought of. Our heroes begin naming powers, including imposter syndrome, which was affecting Jane. Dr. Inside Out skewers a trainee, Squonk, and it's becoming clear the heroes are outmatched. And then the magical beings from the young animal run in to even up the score. Unfortunately, the villain's real goal is discovered. They are digging up Dorothy's body from the graveyard. Cut to Hungan, Immortus, and Mala, with the former doing an incantation on the general. The team gets there just as Immortus turns to wax and falls in the grave. He returns as the Eternal Flame, a candle-based nightmare, to be concluded. Rivers of London, Here Be Dragons number 3 from Titan by Swallow, Cartmel, and Biroy. We're back with Nightingale and Grant, who are meeting with the Fae in a basement. They want to help the cops catch the wyvern, but why? Grant is very suspicious. What's the catch? He also asks them to drop the Cackney vernacular, which they do. A relief for Peter, as well as for the reader. That was painful to read. We learn that a 60s rock star, clearly Hendrix, met the Fae at a club, and they took him to their lands where he performed for the residents there. Of course, Jimmy assumed he was just on a trip. They gave him a wyvern as a present, and it sat on his shoulder as he toured. Eventually, Jimmy let it go on its own. Now they're there to take it back, which begs the question, why did they wait 50 years? Time moves differently there? Grant is unconvinced. With Jimmy dead, the only lead is Plugs, who was a roadie for Hendrix. The detectives discuss things at a greasy spoon. Perhaps the Fae will use the wyvern to regain power? In any case, without evidence, there's not much they can do about it. What they can do is track down Plugs. Grant meets with Galeed, who begrudgingly helps him find the roadie. They go to his apartment and find Spooner about to leave town. We see a montage of Plugs working for Hendrix, Bowie, Journey, and the Spice Girls. His apartment is a mess, but Grant is able to track down magical residue of Plugs' time in the Land of Fairy. He then gets a call from the Believer of the Police Air Service. He's tracked down a nexus point of the Wyvern attacks, the Center Point Tower, a real London building that we learn about in a postscript. Grant asks Khalid to keep an eye on Spooner and takes off to meet the building's historical steward. They go up to the roof only to find a huge gargoyle statue. It's the wyvern in hibernation. He wakes up and attacks. The steward is pushed off the roof and narrowly survives. Then Grant sees two wyverns. Just got real. Second Coming, Trinity number 6 from Ahoy Comics by Russell, Pace, Kirk, and Troy. Sunstar is searching for his baby son Justin from the sky, while Sheila, Night Justice, and Jesus are searching in Justice's car. As his future adoptive father and revenge instructor, it's the least I can do. His future what? No time to answer. There's smoke on the horizon. Justin is playing with his toys, a.k.a. real cars, trucks, and buses with civilians in them. Sheila's boss called. She's supposed to be reporting the story, not making it. So he gives the airtime to trainee Cindy, who quickly goes on the attack on camera. We're still in the early stages of this story, and though I don't want to jump to any conclusions, I think it's fair to blame poor parenting. A tank has Justin in his sights and is waiting for the go-ahead. Justin destroys the tank. Make go boom! Cindy continues her rant on camera. Why should the taxpayers of Urban City have to pay the price for some career gal's absentee mothering? She's a star. Sunstar and Sheila find Justin and have a group hug. 
Yikes, this is, well, it's not good. Sunstar announces his plan, send Justin to the planet Trinity. He wonders what his life would have been had he stayed on Zirconia. Would it have been a happy ending? Probably not. Jesus helps Sunstar build a tiny spaceship. If you really love somebody, just help them. Getting crucified once in a while is just part of the bargain. Jesus checks in on his latchkey kid church. He tells them not to obsess over getting to heaven. Hell isn't all that bad. So there's no point to what they do in life? No. True hell is not a place. It's dying without ever having experienced a day of growth in your life. Sunstar flies just in as far as he can, then heaves the ship to Trinity. Cut to a flashback of Jesus leaving Mary. Every child is a prayer sent out into the unknown. The spaceship crash lands on a farm, and the new supreme leader is advised. It's Cranius! This wraps up the arc. Another one is apparently on its way. AnnouncerBot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye.